And most hotel employees, even down to the newest desk clerk, has had some good, decent first aid training. Uh, and they're used to taking care of people. That's the bottom line. They're, they're very good at dealing with crises. I mean, the stuff that goes on in a hotel on a daily basis is, is legendary. All you have to do is tune into a, an episode of you know Behind the Music and you see some of the craziness that happens. And they're just very, very flexible about dealing with crises because they're just putting out fires every single day. These tests have proven that you are in a much better position to select the right person that matches the job and will be there for a while. If you're trying to avoid turnover, especially in the middle management and upper management levels, this is a tool you absolutely want to consider adding to your screening process. All that and much, much more on this month's edition of Security Management Highlights. I'm your host, the security guy, Chuck Harold. Eric Antons, CPP, PSP, is the former Vice President and Chief Security Officer of Hyatt Hotels Corporation. He is on the ASIS Global Terrorism, Political Instability, and International Crime Committee and is the Chair of the OSAC Hotel Security Working Group. Prior to working in the private sector, Eric was a Special Agent for the U.S. Department of State where he served in the Diplomatic Security Service. Eric, welcome to Security Management Highlights, my friend. Thank you, Chuck. Appreciate it. Today's topic is safeguarding your stay. We're going to talk about the hospitality industry. During COVID-19, I think we have kind of an additional issue here. So let's talk about that. Just give us kind of an overview of where the hotel industry sits today as far as business continuity planning in the, in the midst of the COVID-19 crisis. Think about how much we have learned about COVID-19 just in the last 90 days. Um, I attended a couple of different briefings with the CDC back in February, and I would say 75% of those briefings still apply today, but the other 25% right out the window. I think the larger issue here is to always have very strong infectious diseases response plans. Something that's just broad enough so that it can apply to just about any scenario in 90% of the cases, but also offers enough flexibility such that we can address specific diseases when they pop up. You know, next year, we may not even be thinking about this that much. We may be hoping that it's a bad dream in the, in the rear view mirror, but now we're focused on something else. And if, if the past is any indication of the future, we're going to have another pandemic and another probably two to three years. It may not hit the scale, but we need to be able to apply it to whatever pops up. In terms of treatment, you know, all along, CDC has been very consistent in how they talk about treating this in a building. Um, you know, we have three different levels of cleaning, for example. You have actual cleaning, which is all about removing stains, removing soil, getting something back into a presentable condition. And then you have sanitizing, which is the next step up. And that's bringing down like a virus count or down to a reasonable, a bacteria count to a reasonable level. And then we have disinfecting, which is eliminating all bacteria, eliminating all virus, 100%. Well, sanitizing takes care of COVID-19. We're not using any special chemical agents necessarily. Chemical agents that we've always been using apply here as well. We have increased cleaning cycles quite a bit more. Uh, all the high-touch surface areas are getting hit on a much more regular basis. Uh, we're starting to see a little bit of new technology come in. There's been a lot of talk about you know, cleaning robots that go in and electrostatically hit all the hard-to-reach areas. You don't have to send a human in to do that. So the robot goes in, it does its thing, uh, it's sanitized at that point, and then we send in the cleaning crews. Um, some of the other techniques that working on right now is we have a cleaning crew of two. One really focuses on the, quote, dirty area, so like the bathroom. The other focuses more on the clean area, the linens. 
And together they take the same amount of time, but you're getting twice the amount of cleaning. And then operationally too, uh, things like having the option of um, just bypassing the front desk altogether and going with a keyless entry, having the option of having room service just in the morning or just in the evening, or maybe not even at all, if you don't want somebody coming into your room and making that much easier to uh, set up in advance. We're talking about uh, you know, skins and covers for high touch areas like door bars, door handles, flat areas, um, like the front desk and such like that. And then of course we have the PPE component where we have to protect all of our colleagues. Uh, we have increased hand sanitizing stations. Uh, we're probably going to see a reduction in the number of bu uh, buffets that are available. Very, very challenging in a restaurant which holds 500 people. From an operational standpoint, we have been absolutely hammered. I mean, I, I can only think of one other industry that's seen the, the level of uh, challenge we're facing. That's probably the airline. So everybody has to travel some way or another. And, you know, we're, we're very linked. And uh, so, yeah, there is tremendous interest right now. Um, I'd say right now, gosh, two thirds of the hotel level employees are probably furloughed in the United States, uh, which is just mind blowing. I mean, we came off of 2019, I think across all brands, probably the best year in the hotel industry. And now just 90 days later, facing the absolute worst year ever. And by far, I mean, way below. Um, so the shock is amazing, but there is tremendous interest in trying to spin that up as quickly as we possibly can. So there's tremendous pressure and actually focus on reestablishing trust. So a lot of it's on reestablishing that trust and safety. One thing about the hotel industry that I've always known and have always appreciated is you guys test for everything. You have pressure testing for pandemics, active shooters, bomb threats, earthquakes, fires, explosions. I mean, there's there's frankly nothing you guys don't test for. But tell me how, how the hotel industry is now interacting with possibly the government, let's say FEMA. Yeah, well, for sure, um, you know, the hotels, at least in the United States, have always been part of the national infrastructure framework. You know, we're seeing an increasing reliance upon hotels as shelter during kinetic events. Uh, an example for you, uh, the earthquakes in Puerto Rico um, last year. Um, devastating earthquake. Uh, we're used to seeing hurricanes, and, you know, but we're not used to seeing earthquakes. And uh, so all of a sudden we have entire blocks, entire cities without electricity for long, per long periods of time. And, uh, but where do people gravitate? Well, they go to the nearest hotel. And usually it's going to be, you know, a larger hotel where they know, for example, they have uh, backup electricity because they have uh, generators. Uh, they know they can purify their own water. Uh, they have food and beverage service. They have clean rooms and linens. So truly it's, it's a way to, you know, escape kind of the, the hell that's going on around. We've also seen cases, you know, in terrorist incidents, for example, where a uh, you know a hotel happens to be nearby and you know people flock to the hotel uh, as quickly as they can they see it as a safe haven where there's water there's medical supplies there are linens um, and it becomes sadly um, it might be the actual makeshift morgue for a short period of time while people treat and most hotel employees even down to the newest desk clerk has had some good decent first aid training uh, and they're used to taking care of people. That's the bottom line. They're, they're very good at dealing with crises. I mean, the stuff that goes on in a hotel on a daily basis is, is legendary. All you have to do is tune into a, an episode of, you know, behind the music and you see some of the craziness that happens. And they're just very, very flexible about dealing with crises because they're just putting out fires every single day. 
Well, one thing about the wholesale industry that uh, I think a lot of people may not think about is that security is not your guard at the door in that business. It's safety. It's health and safety. It's CCTV, access control, investigations, OSHA compliance. I think unique to many, many other vertical markets, the wholesale industry security departments handle all these other things. Talk to me about some of those areas that uh, some people might not think security contributes to. Sure. Well, you know, it, it starts with a very strong intelligence network, as any good, complete physical security risk management program should. Uh, it's having those liaisons with the local um, response forces, police, fire, federal, state, and local, you know, being in very close contact with your utility providers. Um, putting out that outer ring of security is really a virtual ring. It's the intelligence side of it. Um, it's often said that it's all about preparation, prevention, response. And we need to get to where fire life safety is now, where it's 80-20. It's 80% preparation and prevention, 20% response and recovery. Theory being that the more sources we put into the first two categories, the less we have to worry about. It. So if we can prevent something from ever even occurring, we don't even have to worry about responding. Very, very different from years past when security teams were often seen as response force. Security teams in the Mideast are very different from our security team in Minneapolis. And um, so it's risk-driven. Uh, it is CCTV, but it, CCTV in, a, in and of itself is fascinating because you, no doubt you followed how analytics have changed the industry. Um, now with COVID-19, uh, there's tremendous push for thermal imaging cameras as first uh, indicator of somebody who might have COVID-19. So we're starting to see those come into the mix. Um, they're very integratable solutions. You can view them remotely. Um, they can see fires before they even exist. So CCTV in and of itself is a story and maybe another podcast in itself. Uh, and then, of course, yes, you're right, investigations, emergency management. And you're right, safety as well. So they're also in charge of slips, trips, falls, OSHA, and infectious diseases. The, uh, the, pit, the people who typically run these programs at the hotel levels are usually, uh, well, they have tremendous backgrounds in uh, as police officers, federal agents, firefighters. So they're, they're almost overqualified for their positions often. Some interesting things that come about in cases like this. We have hotels that have never shut their doors in over 100 years. And now all of a sudden they, you know, they, they go to shut the doors and they have to lock them and they can't find the keys. <laughs> so, you know. It, that just gives you an idea of how open these environments have to at least appear. Not necessarily that they are, but they have to appear. And that's the, that's the tremendous balancing act. We have hotels, uh, for example, Baja, right? And they're standing posts because they have concerns about the you know, host nation security forces being able to even respond. There's tremendous concern right now when you shut a hotel about looting. Um, and then, of course, you have tremendous uh, concerns about the fire life safety systems, water purification. Anytime you shut something down, uh, it's not something you can just flip a switch. They're kind of pulling double duty sometimes, even with engineers. I think we're going to see good things come out of this eventually. It'll be painful. What are your thoughts on that? What are some of the positive things that are going to come out of the hotel industry? I think, for one, is I'm not going to be as concerned about taking my black light with me on every trip. <laughs> well, one thing's for sure, the hotels will be the absolute cleanest they've ever been. The uh, One of the big advantages of being part of a global is that we can learn so much from the other regions in the world. So, you know, we are learning uh, a lot now. We're applying a lot now in the Americas, for example, that we already learned in Asia Pacific. Uh, they're about six weeks ahead of us 
in terms of dealing with this thing. So, you know, we reach out to our colleagues in Asia Pacific, try to get the uh, tips and tricks from them. They push it over to uh, the Europe, Mideast, Southwest Asia region. They started dealing with it. And then the Americas kind of learned from them. One of the other great things I love about this job is while one hotel, say in Sydney, is struggling with something they think is really unique to their situation, uh, it may have already been figured out already in Charlottesville, Virginia. And the trick is to connect the dots and uh, put them in touch with each other and learn from each other. But no, I agree with you. We will get through it. It may look a little different in the near term. We may see times when occupancy is certainly a lot lower until a vaccine is found. We may not see massive corporate meetings like we have in the past until there is uh, a uh, more money available for corporations to send their employees, um, but also uh, there's more reassurance that the probability of them actually catching COVID-19 is extremely low, or they've already had the, the vaccine and uh, high chance that they won't suffer from it. But no, I think we'll come out of it stronger. We have to. I mean, it's, it's more than just resilience. I mean, resilience is all about withstanding stress. Um, I, one of my favorite books in the world is Anti-Fragile by uh, Nick Pollum. And uh, the theory goes that resilience is one thing. The old, that which doesn't kill me makes me stronger. That's one thing. But there's an entirely different class out there that actually improves as a result of the stress. And that's the anti-fragile. And that is actually improving as a result of having gone through something. So I think we'll, we'll learn quite a bit from it. We'll be anti-fragile as a result. Eric Anton, CPP, PSP. Eric, fascinating conversation. I feel much better. I literally feel much more positive about the hospitality industry. I really learned a lot from you today. And thank you so much for coming on Security Management Podcast, my friend. My honor, Chuck. Thomas R. Sutler, Esquire CPP, is Vice President of National Security Operations for Cadillac Fairview Corporation Limited, based in Toronto, Canada. He is also a former supervisory special agent and attorney for the FBI, where he specialized in national security and counterintelligence. Mr. Tom, welcome to Security Management Highlights, my friend. Hello, nice to be here. Now, today we're going to talk about personality and cognitive assessments and how they can kind of be an unpleasant surprise for security managers. This is really a cool subject, and you have a kind of an interesting story on how you, let's just say, bumbled upon this, really. Tell us about that. So these tests have been around for a long time. They just have not been really used to screen out security professionals at higher levels. And I know this because of over the course of my career, companies just weren't really using it as a data point. But about two years ago, I started looking a little bit at other opportunities in, in the workplace. And I noticed that a lot of very reputable companies were starting to add this. And, and my personal experience is that on, a, on an opportunity that was really unique and something that I would really think I would have enjoyed, um, I faced uh, the hurdle of going through these at, at a very unique point because I thought the whole process was over and I thought that you know, the next step was just going to be a job offer and they said, oh, we need you to take all these tests. And by the way, they sent me all the links on a Friday before I was leaving to go on holiday with my family and asked me if I could have it done by Sunday night. And so I had not only had to go on holiday with my wife and teenagers, I also had to find time to take uh, five different uh, comprehension cognitive tests. And I don't know how I did, but I feel like I didn't do that well. And, and then ultimately I was the bridesmaid on that opportunity. And so I just made it a point at that point that I was gonna deep dive into these things because if the opportunity came up again, 
I wanted to knock it out of the park. Now, I myself was very lucky working for two studios, a lot of corporate money invested in training. And I was often given a test. I forgot what it was called exactly. But basically, it determined your management style and personality. You're either a driver, an analytic. You may be familiar with that test. And there's four boxes, and your dot comes down in a box. I found it very insightful. Are we talking about that sort of test, or are we talking about IQ tests or the old MMPI psychological test? What, uh, what are people using out there now to, to screen security personnel? So I think it's fair to say that we need to talk about all the tests. The ones you're referencing are traditionally like what they call Myers-Briggs or Watson-Glazer or even some of those tests that they give athletes to see if they're, able, if they're going to have the cognitive ability to memorize a playbook. But today, you know, there are so many different vendors that have been around for a long time and have accumulated hundreds and hundreds of thousands of, of samples. So they really do, they do provide very good testing, but they cover math, they cover comprehension, they cover cognitive, they cover reasoning, they cover problem solving. I mean, it really depends on the companies. When the company sits down and looks at the role, are you going to be an individual contributor? Are you going to be supporting programs? Are you going to lead a program? Are you going to be leading teams? Are you going to be leading, leading other high-level leaders? I mean, I think when you define the position, you can start to see which of these combination of tests and, and maybe how you would want the psychologist to talk to you down the road, which is another component of this, and, and they sort of align for HR. Are these tests designed to test skill levels, or maybe divulge future potential. Because in the security, you can have a lot of vertical skills that um, you know may be very specific to your, your industry and your sector. But if you're looking for leadership, you kind of have to have – skills aren't the right words. You know what I'm getting at. You have to have kind of this ability to lead, right? I think there's a couple ways to look at this. First is that the role of a senior security professional in a big organization today, especially at the executive level, you have to be able to align with, with the business. You have to understand finance. You have to understand marketing, branding, brand protection, what the company's selling, you know, what their products are, what their services are, how they're set up, all their supply chains. You really have to have a business mind. So I think a lot of these are starting to filter out the people that don't come into the workplace anymore or they don't come in the workplace understanding uh, those, those parts. So these are really focused on that. Another critical piece is what we call derailers. What these, what these tests do better than anything is they give your, your managers and these third parties like a psychologist a chance to see what might derail you. And there's a whole bunch of them. And, and so that's really what they're going to. Again, they're just coming up with a lot more data points to make that informed decision on whether to hire you or not. Well, now that's interesting. So I guess my next natural question would be, how do you prepare for that? Can you prepare for that? Well, the short answer and the good news is absolutely. And the way that you can do this is, is you know, between what I consider Google, other search engines, and online apps through the Apple Store, there's a tremendous amount of resources out there for you to take a look at every single one of these types of tests. So whether you're looking at Watson Glazer, Meyer, Briggs, Winslow, Holtzman, there's just a whole slew of these tests and you can go out and there's a lot of sampling. Secondly, on the App Store, probably four or five what I call IQ personality test opportunities and they even are so well done that you can go in and pick things. So you can pick different 
ways of looking at a question and it'll give you a bunch of questions so that you can start to see what your gaps are. Absolutely. Plenty of ways. That's the whole, I know that was really the single message that I wanted to get out to people, but it takes a while because you're not using your brain in this way every day. You know, how often in the middle of, of a workday does somebody come up to me and pop a question on me about a parallelogram? Zero. <laughs> so you just want to kind of think about things academically and say, wow, they're going to ask about this. I need to take a nice, a healthy approach to this. Now, uh, let, me play devil, let me play devil's advocate on this. Is that fair? Are we creating uh, unreasonable expectations? Because in the end, our business, and I'm going to say physical security, although cybersecurity has the same components, our business is about people. And if you get the people part right, that's really the biggest definition of a leader. And maybe I have to take my shoes off to do my math, but uh, could we be precluding people that otherwise would have been outstanding in that position? Well, I don't want to overstate the, the math because I think for security management, they don't tend to go heavy on the math for screening. But I would say that the other stuff, the cognitive, the, the problem solving, the ability to connect dots, all of these things are absolutely critical. One of the things, and, and I have over 650 people report to me, so I can tell you that I, I have a lot of different personalities out there in the security field across North America. And one of the number one things I'm always, or two top things that I love, an ability to comprehend what's happening around you or in an email and the ability to write, the ability to write. And I know these, are, these seem very simple, but, you, but these can be career stallers. These can be derailers. These can be where why people top out because they don't have the executive level comprehension or they don't have the executive level writing skills. So a lot of these can show you what your blind spots are and give you a lot of, of you know, if you're, if you like, if you're coachable and, you, and you're a lifelong learner, these are very little hurdles. If you struggle with those, these are where you're going to find out that why you topped out. Fair enough. That's a good, fair point. Now, I've, I hired personally and interviewed over 3,000 security people in my career. I wonder if in the security business, there is this hierarchy of I'm the chief, I'm the captain, you're the lieutenant. You know, it's not really military, but kind of. And are a lot of security people just waiting around to follow an order. And if they follow an order very, very well, and they're doing their job well. But we're talking about the guy that follows the orders and thinks. And that's that's an unusual person in our business, isn't it? Because we don't give them a lot of discretion in our policies to act outside the policy. Well, I divide most security folks into two buckets. I divide them into physical security experts and investigators. And if you really look down over this, this world, these are two different subcultures. So the folks that are absolutely expert in experience in physical security you know, they tend to look at world one way and the folks that are absolutely good at investigating and really true investigators, they often don't even want to do physical security. And then every once in a while, you find somebody who's developed an expertise and experience in both and they overlap. And so going back to your point, you know, the, the physical security um, expert, you know, they also fall into a couple categories. And like you said, some of them are just waiting their post orders. They're waiting to understand, you know, what do I need to do today? What do I need to do within the four corners of my post orders? And I get that. And that does usually account for anywhere from 25 to 50% of the team. But then you have the folks, I think, and a lot of these tend to be people that are former law enforcement or want to be in law enforcement. 
want it and they think to want they tend to want to bring other solutions to a problem and i love that now on the investigator side this is a whole different animal you I mean these folks are you know their goal is to get to the bottom you know get to the root cause understanding why and where and the who and the when now of course in law enforcement they tend to put all that together for a prosecution the civil world and in the corporate secure world you know the priority is brand protection the priority is the corporate ass protection of the corporate assets and not necessarily civil or criminal prosecution but still these tests are a way to filter folks to see how they're looking at things and seeing how their cognitive ability uh, is going so you can have a better idea of how they would perform on the job. Let's uh, let's talk about the end game. How are we raising the bar with this new process? What, what is our, our new security leader going to look like, say, that's different from when I started in 1980-something? I, I don't know if all the data is there for corporate security professionals yet, but when you look over into other disciplines, engineering, accounting, legal, executive management, these tests have proven that you are in a much better position to select the right person that matches the job and will be there for a while. And I recently completed the Wharton School for Executive Leadership. And what I was, there was a module that they taught at the school that was amazing. They really deep dived into these tests and said, this is the future. And it was, it was a perfect uh, parallel to what I was writing on the side because they showed over and over how this data uh, will allow the hiring manager and the HR folks to make a much, much better decision. So in my mind, the end game is if you're trying to avoid turnover, especially in the middle management and upper management levels, this is a tool you absolutely want to consider adding to your screening process as opposed to the old school method because it's it's a really great tool. It gives you this objective data point uh, to make your informed decision. Thomas Sutler, CPP. Tom, thanks for coming on Screen Management Highlights, my friend. I really learned a lot and I really appreciate your insights. Looks like this is going to be a huge benefit to the security industry as, it, as we uh, go forward and adopt it. Thank you very much. Look forward to uh, crossing paths with you again.